Welcome to season two of Bike Tales. This time we're heading to Chichester on England's south coast. It's not an obvious place to look for a biking community, but it is my hometown. And so I wanted to explore its sparse biking community and what some may call a cultural resistance to active travel. If you were to ask people about the pros and cons of living in this affluent cathedral city, high on the list of negatives is the A27. It's a dual carriageway which runs east to west and loops around the south of the city. Plans to replace it, divert it or widen it have been under discussion since the last millennia. And meanwhile, developers keep building new houses and the pressures on the road keep growing. It's not a problem that any road widening scheme is going to fix. Yet Chichester could be reinvented, at least within its core, where there is a mix of shops, leisure and housing, and where there is so much potential for a modal shift. Sarah Sharp is a local councillor, founder of Chai Cycle, and for the last 12 years has been campaigning to make Chichester Centre more active travel friendly. Chichester District is huge. I think it's one of the largest but I'm very focused on the city where I live and the city where I live is very small in the context of things. You can walk from one side to the other in about 15 minutes right to the outskirts on each side and that's what people forget. It's a very tiny community Mm -hmm. and what's happened is that the car has just taken over and dominated and people can't think of walking from the centre out to Lidl That's what happens when you get a culture that forgets. We've forgotten almost how to walk. The irony here is that Chichester already has a pedestrianised centre. In the 1970s, as car ownership across the UK grew at an exponential rate, the residents of the city realised that the automobile had no place within the ancient heart of the city. And so the main streets, which make up the shopping area, were pedestrianised. But it came at a cost. The cars that were pushed out had to go somewhere, so a ring road was built and historic buildings were demolished. Almost as soon as it was finished, it was obsolete and work on the infamous A27 bypass begun. And with it came the gridlock. But transport in this city could be very different. If you transplanted a city this size into, say, another scenario in Denmark or Holland, just imagine what it would be like. You don't actually have to try very hard to imagine how people living in the centre of this historic city might have had all their needs met without cars, because, of course, this is how the architects intended it to be lived in. It's a Roman city. It wasn't designed for cars. It wasn't designed for what we've got. But people say, therefore, there's no space for bike lanes. You know, it's like the car has taken dominance over everything. It's a cultural shift and it's a shift in the way people think, live, a shift in mindset and an acceptance that car cannot be king. You know, just think of the inner city of the very core. If you want to encourage walking, cycling, tourism, really make that a special place that it deserves to be. Though the core remains pedestrianised to this day, that positive beginning never went any further. 
Whilst residents would be horrified at the idea of letting cars back in now, there is no suggestion that the council look for other ways to expand this kind of thinking. Nobody would want to go back with it having a policeman at the cross and people driving through the city centre. But we haven't taken that next step to say that was really positive. Shall we extend that a bit? If Sarah sounds frustrated, you can forgive her that. It's not just that the centre hasn't done anything to welcome bikes. It's actually banned them, excluding them, even at times when the shops are closed. You could cycle through the city centre on Sundays. When we first moved here, there were hardly any shops open and that was fine. And then they implemented it on the same hours as the weekdays. So from 9.30, when possibly the shops aren't open or, you know, the shops close at, say, four and we're still not allowed to cycle through. From that point of view, we've gone backwards. It was issues like navigating across the city that first inspired Sarah's campaigning. Her daughter moved to high school at the age of 11 and wanted to travel there by bike. A sustainable transport route to Bishop Luffer Senior School should be easy. It's situated where the South Coast cycle route and a five and a half mile disused railway track meet. It should be accessible by kids on bikes, but it isn't because the South Coast cycle route, which runs west from school, has patchy infrastructure and the approach from the east, where Sarah lives, throws cyclists into the fray with school-run SUVs. She started going to Luffer at the age of 11, so she was a summer birthday, so she was one of the youngest in the year, and she was adamant that she wanted to cycle herself. That's part of the journey of growing up, is that independence. But when you actually travel that journey at quarter to eight, 28 in the morning, it's like Piccadilly Circus. I really empathise with Sarah's frustrations. I live in the opposite direction to her from Bishop Luffer, along the promising-sounding South Coast cycle route, and I had considered the school for my son, but was infuriated by the patchy infrastructure that would have made the four-mile cycle ride too risky for my taste. Sarah's been campaigning for over a decade. Her daughter has been and gone from Bishop Luffer, and few of the changes she hoped to see ever came to fruition. And you could say from when I started the campaigning in 2010, nothing has changed. I don't think there are any more cycle lanes here. And when we first started, we had a cycling officer at the county and she said, oh, you've got to go for a quick win. And one of the quick wins was on Westgate, which does have these little little bits that you're supposed to cycle through. Sarah's talking about a part of the city between the school and the centre where she did have a win, successfully campaigning for a 20 mile per hour speed limit. There were already traffic calming measures there, small projections into the road that were constructed with narrow gaps for bikes. But even these presented problems. So there's this bollard and you're, as a cyclist, you're supposed to go through this gap. And these gaps are bumpy and they haven't been made smooth. Now, for a cyclist, I know it sounds a bit ridiculous, but you don't want to go anywhere which is going to give you a shudder through your whole body. And that has not been repaired. You can't get a cargo trike through these gaps. So the whole infrastructure is not made. It's not made. You know, the little infrastructure that there is is really not made for cycling. 
quick wins have proved hard in Chichester, and it's at least in part due to the population makeup. The council has had a conservative majority since 1928. It's one of the most affluent parts of the country, and its population is ageing. The generation that grew up with the motor car hold it close, but many of the young, low-salaried people they depend on in old age, like carers, nurses or retail staff, need affordable ways to get around, and car dependency and expensive house prices limit their options. We do have an ageing population, which is very, very scary if you think about what's going to happen in 20, 30 years' time. How many older people in Holland will be cycling as part of their day-to-day routine? That is what we don't have, because the older people here largely will be driving, and they'll be driving these very short distances, and it's the mass of traffic which is the problem. I have actually had somebody writing to me and they want to meet me about the 15-minute neighbourhoods they see as a threat to their democratic right to drive wherever they want. Some of those strong views have translated into threats and outright hostility. Sarah tried to close a road for a few hours for a car-free day in the city, but when threats were made on social media... The event was pulled. What happened in the end, somebody commented, I think, on Facebook that they would drive into the event and potentially that would harm anybody taking part. And instead of sending a policeman around to that person's door to say that is aggressive, you can't do that. It was like, well, you know, the event can't go ahead. Cycle campaigning is very painful. It's not easy. I've mentioned before that Chichester District is large, We'll be visiting cyclists in other parts of it later in this season. But one thing Sarah says sums up the difference between the potentially accessible core and the outer reaches. I live right near the cattle market in the centre of Chichester City. Chichester District is, is one of the largest districts, I believe, in the country. So it goes right down to the sea. So you've got the Wittering, Selsey, and then you go all the way up beyond Midhurst. It's very rural as well. I've lived here since 1999 and I've only once ever cycled down to Chelsea. I mean, that is really significant. That is such a significant fact. You could say, what a lazy person. She's supporting cycling and she hasn't cycled to to Chelsea. Nine miles, but it is the most treacherous road you can imagine. Sarah isn't alone. When I recorded season one of this podcast in Ottawa, I travelled huge distances and met everyone on bike because I could. But there are parts of Chichester I will never visit on a bicycle. You could say, so what? But every summer, those roads to the sea become wall-to-wall traffic as people jump in cars and head to the beach, and it becomes a nightmare for local residents. If there were bike routes to the coast, the journey itself could become part of the adventure for families – rather than a source of frustration. And where would the money come from? Well, there is something that could really help, and it's the money from property developers. In the UK, councils charge a levy on large-scale developments to help upgrade the road network and improve the community infrastructure, so-called SIL money, which can be spent on anything that benefits the community. Cycling comes under that, But that also includes everything else, education, 
doctor surgeries, playgrounds and everything. So if a parish council has got some SIL money to spend, it's much easier for them as a small parish council, they're all volunteers except the clerk who's paid for a few hours a week, it's much easier for them to build a playground than to link in a bit of cycling infrastructure. After 12 years, Sarah is battle-weary. But she still has a glimmer of hope, and it comes from schools, the very same thing that started her on this journey. I think schools is probably the way forward, and young parents. And you see the odd cargo trike. There are the odd people that do try to, to do this. And it's always, it always makes my heart sing when you see a new cargo truck. It's really exciting. Next time on Bike Tales, we hear about Kemroute, the cross-county cycle highway, which was meant to link two towns, but died a death in the pandemic. It was so awful and it was so unsafe and it didn't comply with the LTN 120 regulations, we had to try and get it stopped. If you'd like to see photos of some of the places mentioned in this episode, links and a map of Chichester, check out the show notes. Bike Tales is written, produced and presented by me, Claire Mansell, at storysolutions.net. If you'd like to know more about the podcast or to listen to the first season, which was recorded in Canada's capital city, head to storysolutions.net slash bike tales.